I do feel a little bit like a visitor today. We've been gone for about six weeks, it's, and, uh, and six weekends at least, and that is a little bit long to be gone. But it feels good to be home and uh, back with you. We want to, Sandra and I want to thank many of you for your prayers for us. Most all of you have, have prayed for us. And many of you sent us an email or a text message or some way you communicated a card that you have prayed for us or have been thinking about us as we're, as we're ministering in, in Asia. Uh, we're in Nepal and India these last four weeks. Um, and we are pleased to tell you that God is on the move in that part of the world. And uh, somewhere along the line, we'll talk about that. I think that's part of the plan, maybe in January. But uh, in the meantime, we want to look to a message, to the message that God has for us today. I want to remind you that the message that we have to share, that I'm going to share is not I'm not maybe the most polished speaker, but the message is the greatest news ever delivered to human beings. And we ought never to treat it as simply one message among many. We should never treat it as just sort of a, oh, it's, it'll go, it's good if we can get there, but we don't need to worry about it uh, that much. We don't need to give it such high priority. There is nothing more important in my mind than spending time meditating and thinking about what God has to say to us. Can you think of anything more important? So, in my mind, now you may be thinking, well, this is just a preacher talking, but in my mind, the most important time in the week is worship time for the body of Christ. I know that our schedules call for us to go and do different things, and I've missed church services in the last six weeks while because we were traveling. And so I understand that necessity requires us sometimes to be away. But in my mind, there is nothing more important than the worship of the King of Kings when God's people come together for that. So, I try to schedule, we try to schedule our lives, our weekly lives around our Sunday worship with the family of God. And I think it would do us all good to sort of do a reset to that if you're not already doing that. Just sort of set The worship of the Lord is the big event of the week. And hearing what God has to say to us is the most important thing to listen to. Opinions and ideas and polls are all good in their place. But the most important thing is what God has to say to us, okay? There is nothing we can do to make God love us more 
There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. I saw that quote first in a magazine for pastors that our denomination provided for us a few years back. And that has stuck with me. And, it's, and the reason it stuck with me is because it became uh, what it can, what it's, what it's, what's behind that statement had become so important to my life. I think maybe it would be important to just simply share a little bit about myself and the struggles. I may have shared a little of this before, but let, let me share with you that um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up knowing the importance of church, and I knew the, and, and the importance of God. My parents, though not perfect, practiced the faith. To the point that they had family Bible reading and prayer most weeknights as I grew up. It was typical for me as a boy, as about one of the last things in the day was for dad, or if he was gone, mom to do it, to read a chapter in the Bible, and then for us to get on our knees as a family and pray. But that doesn't mean I was a Christian. That doesn't mean I was born again and I had a relationship with God or understood the gospel, really. I had, a, I had a sort of an understanding of the gospel, and thank God He receives us as little children so we don't have to have a, a full-blown understanding of everything when he, for Him to accept us. But the reality is, I didn't know the Lord until I was, and, and, and it was only until I was about 12 years of age when I prayed what's commonly called the sinner's prayer to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and come into my heart, and I did that, but then I, it was sort of a formula, it was important at the time, but it was sort of a formulaic thing I did, and then afterwards, I just reverted back to living Apart from God's grace, I, 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 I sort of, I think I, I think I was trusting in the Lord, but not for certain. At least I wasn't practicing the, the heart of the gospel of grace. For the last several weeks, your pastor has been preaching on go and do. And I believe in that. I believe the gospel message makes us behave differently than the rest of the world. We behave in a way that is that reflects godly principles. But the but all the religions of the world call for their adherence to behave in with some level of morality. So the gospel is not simply follow this set of rules, do this set of moral priorities, just do these things and you're fine. Because that's what I was doing as a young man. 
I simply, after praying the, the sinner's prayer, I simply reverted back to um, moralism instead of relationship with the living God. And I was good at that. I did a good job of being moral. By and large, I kept the rules pretty good. I would have been a good double for the rich young ruler in the Gospels. Remember him? He came to Jesus, said, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life, to to have peace with God? That's basically what he was looking for. And Jesus, knowing him and knowing people so well, he went back, he took to that man and said, you know the commandments. And Jesus, you know, there's two sets. There's, there's two categories in the Ten Commandments. There's the categories about your relationship with God. Then there's categories relating to people and your relationship with people. And Jesus knew this guy was a moralist, like Keith Nash practiced. And, and so the, the, the commandments about relationship with people is what he, he took this man back to. He said, you know, honor your father and mother don't steal, don't kill, don't, don't um, um, lie, those kind of, those commandments. And, and the man said, I've done all these things. I've kept all these rules. And, and the old Keith Nash, back as I was growing up, I could have said the same thing. I've done all these things. I've kept all these. But there's not peace in my heart. I didn't have that sense that God was, was, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I didn't have that sense of assurance. And this guy, this rich young ruler said, all these things I've kept from my childhood, what more do I lack? And that's when Jesus put the finger on, you shall have no other gods before me. And that's what I needed to hear. So Jesus told the man, go and sell everything you've got. Give it away. Because things were his, was his God. And then come and follow me. You see, I could have been a good double for that. Because what I did is, is I simply followed the rules. And I did a good job of that. But my, but my heart was far from my from God as far as having an intimate, warm, meaningful relationship with God who I knew loved me. And so I simply knew that that there wasn't that peace. So you know what my solution was as a young man? I just redoubled my efforts, just tried harder. That's what most people, that's the way most people are living. If they're religious at all, most people, whether, whatever religion they have in this world, whatever their religious bias or orientation is, they simply try harder if they, when they bump up against not having peace. And some of you here today might be feeling that same thing. I don't know, I don't know that God is my friend. I don't have that warm sense of God's presence and peace in my soul. But I'm trying. I'm really working at it. I go to church every week and I 
and I try to try to have my devotions with some regularity, and I try to do this, I try to treat people well. You may have your list of things as well. So I redoubled my effort, and there were times when I kind of drifted into the grace of God, drifted into a sense of God's call. And I, it was during that, you, can, you might find fault with me, or I don't, I don't know how you're going to react to this, but I, I even sensed, I believe, a call of God into ministry, but I really didn't grasp the grace of God at that time. So I went into ministry, son and I got married, and we were in ministry for 12, 13 years and doing, doing a lot hard work. You know what I was doing? I wanted God to be proud of me. And as a matter of fact, I didn't put it in this, these terms, but I thought in the back of my mind, God is really lucky to have a guy like me on his team. Because I'm really doing a lot of good things for him. Now that, when you say it, when I say it that way, it reeks with pride, doesn't it? It was. But that's, that was my motivation. You see, if you do, if you go and do for the wrong motive, it comes out filthy rags. Going and doing is important, but the motive becomes all important. And so what I want to sort of wrap up this go and do series with, uh, Pastor Mark and I talked, I'm just going to simply share, the motive has to be the grace of God. My problem and the problem of so many people is we see that the grace of God is necessary to find salvation to be born again. So we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and we realize there's no other way to to have a relationship with God, to have cleansing of our sins from other than through the merits of Jesus dying on the cross. So we, we come to God, the grace of God for that. And then as soon as we become born again, then we revert back to a merit-based lifestyle. At least that's what I did. I was working hard, and at most of our discipleship, we tell people, okay, once you're saved now, here's the list of things you need to do. You need to pray every day. You need to, go to, you need to read your Bible every day. You need to go to church every week. You need to um, witness. That was always a tough one for me because I'm an introvert, so that was a hard one. And, and, and we give them a list of to-dos, and then if you, if you want to become a member, here's another list of to-dos, uh, membership requirements. So we have our lists, and that's how we approach, that's how we operate. So much of the Christian life and discipleship is based on a merit-based motivation of if you don't do this, you're not really a Christian, or you're not really least behaving like a Christian, and you might lose out, and you might God will God will reject you, and there's a lot of fear mo- motivation built into that, and uh, and and all of the rest. And I believe that when Christians 
when people truly become Christians, they get they are changed. But not motivated out of threat. And not motivated out of a sense of this is what you've got to do in order to be. You've got to be in Christ first. And out of that flows. In other words, you've got to be born first. A child that is born, we've got three sons. Those sons, those three sons of ours don't have to work at being sons of Keith and Sondra Nash. They know they are sons of Keith and Sondra Nash, and they just live out that, that who they are. And, and they don't have to worry that if they don't behave a certain way, Keith and Sondra Nash will disown them. They don't worry about whether they're going to be no longer sons of Keith and Sondra Nash. They know they are. And yet, and yet they've been brought up largely due to Sondra's good parenting because I was too busy when they were in their most formative years. I say that sadly for me, but... Sandra did some good training, and they, they live in a way that's honorable to our name. But not because there was a threat or there is a threat over them. They just, that's just who they are now. Well, let me get back to my story. I, I, grew, I, I was motivated on merit, earning your way with God earning my way with God. And, in, and then there came a point of time when we, when we came to this part of the country and started pastoring a church that was way over our heads as far as, as responsibilities go. And, um, and things didn't go well those first couple of years. There was internal turmoil, internal division and struggle. And uh, it looked like we were going to lose out um, and uh, and things weren't going well and I was trying harder and harder and harder to be a pastor a good pastor and I couldn't fix things I couldn't fix what was we were facing and it got so so much tension so much struggle that at one point Sandra she internalized all that stress and strain on me and us, and she she got sick and went to bed for a couple of weeks. And we tried to get her help going to doctors and uh, every diagnosis. We went to specialists and different doctors, and all the specialists told us the same thing. There's no physical problem. We think the, the, the issues are stress-related. So you just need to get rid of some of that stress. <laughs> so how do we do that? I tried to help Sandra get over her stress. You know, I'm a legalist telling, 
you know, here's what you need to do, do all these things, and I've given, I've given her advice on what to do, and it was just adding to the stress instead of relieving it. I couldn't help her. I couldn't help her. Legalistic approach wasn't going to help. I got to thinking in my mind, if I can't help my wife, why am I in ministry? In her time of need, if I can't help her, why should I be in ministry? And so it was right about that time when things were really in trouble and I called, on a, I called a man that I trusted in ministry and he, I believe providentially, encouraged us to go to a place in, in Colorado for some counsel. We spent a week out there to fix Sandra's problem. But I'm the one that got ministered to. Because they just had us saturated with the message of the grace of God. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That's what we spent our week in. We just read and read and read those four little books. And the counselor talked to us about two approaches to life. Legalistic approach a grace-saturated life. And God did a, a transformation of my whole life. It took some time, but that was the beginning point. And it shifted. And he said, it's not you that has to perform to please your, 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 the Lord. It is God in you, Christ in you, that you need to let him just live through you. And so, when we got done with that week, first thing I did when we got back to Mitchell was to have my own funeral service. I did it. Literally had a funeral service for me. And uh, said, from here on, it's not Keith Nash living but it's Christ in me. And in that time, I came upon a passage of Scripture. And I am coming to some Scriptures. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. And if you turn to it, it talks about a mystery. And in the Bible, when it talks about mysteries, it's not trying to say there's something that God is keeping hidden from us. It's just something that's hard for us to understand. But the truth, the reality is this. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them, these that are having this mystery revealed to them, God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is. I'm not real smart, but when you say which is, you realize that the next thing he's going to say is the the illumination of what that mystery is. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. It's Christ living in us. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. And it, that is a faith life, a faith-based life. It's a life, I, you know, I didn't wake up this morning feeling Christ living in me. 
It's a faith step that I took again this morning. And almost every morning I ask God, Lord, I gladly submit myself to you to live in me, to own me, to do with me as you wish. God is sovereign. He does own me. I am in his hands, but I gladly submit to that every morning. And that's what this Christian life is. To become a Christian, that's what it is. You submit to the merits of Jesus for salvation. But now as you live this Christian life, it's not living according to a set of rules. It's gladly surrendering to who you really are. It's gladly accepting who I am. I'm a child of the King. I am born of the Spirit. It is not me any longer that's to live. It is Christ to live through me. That's the mystery. And it takes all the faith I can give it to, make, to, to live it that way. And then I went down as I was reading in, my, in the Bible here. I came down to chapter 2, verse 6. And look at what it says. The inspired writer says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did I receive Christ Jesus? By faith. Right? Any of us who are evangelical in our belief, any of us who believe in the gospel of salvation, the born-again reality, understand that we received Christ Jesus by faith. Not because we feel it so much, but we simply take God at His word and trust that because He died on the cross for us, we are Christians. We, I mean, because He died on the cross, and we trust what He did for us to appropriate His atoning sacrifice in, in place of us, that we then are children of God. But then he says, so walk in Him. It's the same thing. To, to live this Christian life is a faith walk every day of our lives. We live by faith, trusting Him. I wish I could say that after that, everything changed at, at the church where we served. It didn't just automatically change, but things took a turn at that point, and that's when things started changing for the good. It's, it's, it's been a lifetime of, of learning to live by faith. And I, I, I read another passage of Scripture that was life, almost life-altering for me, Romans 14, 23, where the, the Lord says this, Whatever is not of faith is sin. You mean living such a good life like I've always tried to live is sin if it's not prompted or motivated by faith? Yeah. Even traveling the world, going to Asia like Son and I have done the last few years, if it's 
not prompted by faith, by reliance on the Lord and, and prompted by Him, if we're just doing that to, to pat ourselves on the back, it's sin. Because it's not connected with the, the Lord. It, doesn't, it isn't connected. We're trying to make Him proud of us. And that smacks of pride. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So, this whole life since then, I've been gradually learning that there is a dramatic distinction between a life of works, a religious practice of works, versus the life of, of the grace of God. And I don't know if we can put it up on the... Is there a, that comparison slide? I don't even have it in my notes here, so I'm going to look back with you. But I, this, this whole thing, every religion in the world works on the side of moralism. Every religion in the world works on that side, except one. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian faith, operates on that side. So... Wherever you go in the world, it's the same. It's just different versions of the religious moralism. Moralism says we get ahead by earning our way. The Lord says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The moral side, the side of keeping the rules to earn your way with God, says the race is won by the truly gifted. And boy, in, a, in our American world, American church world, we're big on that. We champion our church heroes. You know, we have our, our big stars in the church, but it's over there. Jesus says, or the Bible says in, in uh, the Corinthians... God chose the lowly things of this world to confound the wise. The things that are not to call into being the things that are. The moralist says God helps those who help themselves. Christian faith says it's not by works. It's not your doing. You can't do anything to make God love you more. And again, you can't, make God, you can't do anything to make God love you less. In the moral side, moralism side, it says reward versus penalty. There's your, you got rewards if you do these things. you got penalties if you do those things. And I, I understand there's passages in the Scriptures that, bad, that seem to suggest that. And I was steeped in that. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, you're saved by faith. You were... You're saved by faith, not by works. As a matter of fact, the, Christ, the gospel is not to make bad people good. The gospel message is to make dead people live. So the whole idea of reward and penalty, that's out the window as far as your motivation for living for God. The moralist says, what's working for you? What works? Let's do that. Because everything's about doing works. As I was putting this message together, I read in Jeremiah a passage in Jeremiah 43, 44, right in there. 
Do you know what it told us? It's a perfect illustration. When they, they were going in, when the people of Israel were going into captivity and, and, and be, becoming penalized for their godlessness the, um, and for their idolatry, the, the, Jeremiah was the prophet to preach to them in, in Jerusalem. And some of them said, the reason we're getting into having trouble now, the reason we've been, overcon- uh, we've been conquered by the Babylonians is because we threw away the, the idols that we've been worshiping. And there was a, a turn to revival, and they had thrown away their idols. And they said, the reason we've had trouble is we've thrown away our idols. We're going to go back and get them. This is what works for us. You see, if you just follow what works for you, you're going to be led astray too. Moralism is is rife with that. But Jeremiah said, no, no. It's not because you've you've, you've thrown away the idols that you're having trouble. The reason you're having trouble is because you've turned your back on God. You've not trusted in the living God who is your salvation. It changed when I began to see this life through the lens of grace. All of the Bible began to open up to me. I read the story of the prodigal. Prodigal means wildly extravagant, so he's a prodigal father. The father in the story is God, and the two sons represent any of us. And I was the older son who did my duty and worked hard in the fields, did everything my father asked me to do, and I thought I deserved better treatment. The whole store, point of that story is, to, is for people like me, the religious, prideful hypocrites. I need to understand. It's not what you do for the Father that matters. It's you need to know the love of your Father. You need to enjoy and enter into relationship with your Father. I saw, I saw, by the way, just as a side from the, in the story of the prodigal, do you know who was most saddened by the return of the younger son home? You remember the younger son came home? You know who was most disappointed by that? The fattened calf. <laughs> Ah, that's just an aside. (laughs) But as I read the Bible, I saw saw so many places where God was just illustrating over and over again. It's the grace of God. We live by faith in Him. It's every step of the way. We cannot earn our way to God's favor into His heart. We have to receive it as a gift. That's the whole life. This whole Christian life is a gift. It's a gift. Jesus told about a Pharisee who went into the temple to pray. 
And I think that's on our slide up here. And he held up his head and said, Lord, I'm thank- I, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I am better than so many people in this world. You're lucky to have me on your team, God. And there was another man in the background, in the shadows, who simply bowed his head in, in brokenhearted humility and said, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one went home forgiven? Which one went home with the blessing of God on him? We all know the answer. See, the Lord is reminding us it's not being religious that makes us acceptable and makes, us, makes our, our Father pleased with us. It's living in relationship with God. It's living In brokenness, recognizing, I'm not deserving of the least of your favors, God. And so if there's anything ever going to happen that's good in me, you're going to have to do it, God. I cannot please you on my best days. I wreck it. I ruin it. On my best days, I'm a failure, morally speaking. Well, I can keep rules. We can keep rules, but my heart's cold towards the things of God. I'm full of pride. You see, we need to do. We do need to do righteousness. But it's not because we're trying to earn God's favor. And it's not because we're afraid that He will slap us down. It's out of glad gratitude that we are children of His. That He owns us. And if every step of the way, it's a gift of grace. It's a gift of grace. And you can read all the parables, any of the stories in the Bible, and it all comes back to this. It's the grace of God that is our hope. And so I've ended... I ended up with my life at Galatians 2.20, and I need to wrap it up here. And so if there's other slides, just slide past those to Galatians 2.20. This whole Christian life is a life of faith. Whatever, it's, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the, that's the Christian life. And it, I am still learning what that means. I haven't got it, I've not got it down pat by any means. But I'm trying to learn that. And surrendering myself as best I know how over and over to the goodness and the gift of God to live in and through me for His glory. And whatever good shows up in this life now that's mine, it's not me that's doing it. I know what it is. I know what it looks like when Keith Nash is in charge. And it may look nice on the surface, but underneath is dead men's bones. Underneath is 
ugly pride. Whatever good there is that comes out of this life, it's Christ living it through me. He's the one. He's the one that does it. That's the Christian life. That's this life of faith. Life saturated with the grace of God. And that's the only legitimate Christian life there is. So, I've said this before. I close with this. In the story of the prodigal, the father went out to the older son and asked him to come in. I remember when I read that and this whole matter of grace began to be to take take over my thinking and my heart i remember telling the lord father i don't think i'm 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 like that elder son and i'm probably not one of your favorite you you'd really like to celebrate with those others that have been bold in their sin and bold in their repentance i've just been a coward all my life trying to earn your favor and been full of bitterness and pride you know, you probably are just putting up with me. That's what I prayed to the Lord. And when I read Luke 15, right at the end, you know what I read? When that older son just spewed out hatred and malice and pride and ugliness to his father, you know how his father responded to that son? He said, my son, He claimed even that older son as his own. And it was as though God says, look at that, Keith. Look at that. You're my son. That's what matters. I love you as a son. Even with your ugly pride that you've lived. Even with your motivation of works trying to earn things. The ugliness that all that all produces. You're still my son. My son. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Enjoy it. That's what I think God is trying to tell us today. All the favor, all the blessings of God belong to the Linwood Church family. Enjoy it. Yeah, there's ugliness in all of our lives. Every one of us has got those ugly, fleshly ways of doing things. But this Father loves us. He's not going to deny us or kick us out. Trust Him. Live in that grace and learn what it means to have a father who loves us um, irresistibly and loves us unconditionally. May God help us. Go and do because you are children of God because of Jesus. God bless you. God bless you.